It's the day before the election. Let's talk about it. Kamala's commie commercial. My big prediction for how this is going to go. New York City and other places preparing for an election apocalypse. And Lady Gaga goes fake redneck. This, this is the Buck Sexton Show. Where the mission, or mission is to decode what really matters with actionable intelligence. One small Make no mistake. America. Great. You're a great American. Again. The Buck Sexton Show begins. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. He's a great guy. It is Buck Sexton. Now. Welcome to the Buck Sexton Show, friends. We are almost there. It's been quite a journey together. It's been something that we've all been preparing for for weeks and months now. We knew it would be here. And just just know that it's all going to be over soon, one way or another. At least the election day will be over soon. I can't tell you that the election will end on the same in the same way. Um, and, and I'll tell you some broad dynamics that I see playing out right now. It's all tightening toward Trump. Mm, what a surprise. All of a sudden, any poll that's going to show whether somebody was right or wrong is starting to hedge a bit and starting to head more toward the Trumpster. Isn't that fascinating? Why would that be the case? Hmm. You mean that some of the polling organizations out there that want to make sure that their numbers, because it's like free advertising for them, are cited by the New York Times or or they want to please the people paying for the polls in the case of some of these uh, media organizations. Right. The upside is always to give people weeks out from the election what they want when it comes to these polls. You You tell them what they want to hear. And then as it gets closer for reasons of professional reputation, you might decide that you're going to switch things up a bit. You might decide at that point, yeah, okay, so it's really going to be a toss-up between Trump and Biden. And that is what we are seeing. A lot of phrases slipped into this polling analysis out there that, if you remember, I mean, a month ago, three, four weeks ago, even two weeks ago, if you looked at this, Biden was uh, Biden looked like it was going to be a walk-in-the-park win for him. Now, I didn't believe that. You didn't believe that. But that's what the data was telling us. That's what the pollsters were all suggesting. What the heck was that all about? I think we're going to see pollsters join journalists and fact checkers as professions that well-informed people do not trust. Doesn't mean that there are no good people in those professions, but they're professions where there's a lot of dishonesty. Remember the 90s when everybody used to make lawyer jokes? That kind of fell out of fashion, but there were a lot of lawyer jokes in the 90s, in part because of the explosion of frivolous lawsuits and all the different ways that uh, ambulance chasing, slip and fall attorney types were out there making millions. Oh, and then John Edwards, for example, uh, became almost president of the United States as one of those guys. So, you know. You look at the way that professions can change over time, the way that people's sense of whether they can trust somebody. I think pollsters are going to be something that we have to consider whether or not they're really uh, for these kinds of things. Polling about whether people like Coke or Pepsi. Sure, I, I believe they can give you a pretty good snapshot of that. But just like everything else, whether it's sports or comedy, now polls are politicized. That's what we're likely going. Now, I, this could be untrue. We could end up seeing that the pollsters nail it this year. But even if they all stay within the margin of error and they're correct, 
if they're all in the margin of error favoring Biden, this thesis still holds up. Well, let's get away from the polls. for Actually, no, wait, a couple more things. Got a seven or eight point lead in Iowa for Trump. And I'll just go on the record now. Here's what I'm feeling. And you know that one of my one of my mantras, one of my predictions is that nobody can predict the future and always be cautious about believing anybody can. But you can establish trends. You can analyze data and extrapolate and come to conclusions. And then you should always test and retest and see if you're correct. I think. I believe. I can't say I know. But I feel very strongly Donald Trump is going to win this election. He's going to win. I do not believe it will be a landslide for him. I think the fact that he could win even or, or that if he does win, given what the country has gone through with covid, it'll be almost uh, feel like a miracle because this has been the biggest gift to the Democrat Party is the misery, despair and destruction all the losses that we have suffered during covid is politically a huge let's just call it what it is a huge advantage for democrats trump running against biden 12 months ago would have been laughable and that's what he should have been able to do because the trump economy and the trump approach to governance was bearing so much fruit for all of us including the psycho libs who hate him the country was at peace the country was prosperous And if you had had this election 12 months ago, I firmly believe that you would be talking about Trump not only running the table in the industrial Midwest, Michigan, Wisconsin. I do think he'd pick off Minnesota. I do think he would uh, he he would win a few of those states that are lean blue. You know, maybe maybe even Colorado would have been in play. I mean, there, there would have been some very interesting changes Um, But because of covid, it's going to be a very tight election. And I think that Trump is going to get somewhere in the neighborhood. And we'll we'll, we'll have to see after the election. This is a prediction where we can check and see if I'm right in 48 hours. So we will. I think Trump will get somewhere from 270 to 200 and let's call it 85 votes. So sub sub 300 pretty substantially. I you know, if if you ask me a number, I, I feel like Trump's going to get. 272, 274, something like that, just above the threshold. And I do believe that Pennsylvania is going to determine who wins the election in the end, that that's going to be considered, as I've been saying, the keystone state is the keystone to this election. And I also think that the Democrats will refuse to concede on election night and throw the country into at least a few days, if not a few weeks of real political friction. I, I, you know, the chaos would be a better word. And they're preparing for it already. You can tell that's why they're boarding up major cities. They were making barricades like they're getting ready for a hurricane. Of course, we know it's riots, not a hurricane. Making barricades for stores on my street where I live. Getting ready. And some of them are stores that have already been broken into and ransacked by uh, by thugs and and Biden voters. So that's in preparation for what the Democrats will do. We'll talk more about that and and how despicable it is that we all know that it's going to be Democrats who do it. We all know that it will be Democrats who are the ones looting, rioting and generally acting in lawless, barbaric ways. But Trump's going to win. He's going to win Ohio. He's going to win Florida. And yes, I do believe he's going to win Pennsylvania. 
He's going to win North Carolina. He's going to win Georgia. He's going to win Arizona. These are the places that people are pointing to and they're saying, oh, no, Biden's got this big lead or Biden. No, I'm, I'm not. I'm not buying it at all. I don't think he's going to win, win Michigan and Wisconsin. That's where some of my conservative positively disposed toward uh, Trump's chances here. That's where that's where some break with me. And, and I know that we're talking a big game about Minnesota. I just don't see it. Lovely people, but too many Democrats in Minnesota. That's the problem. So Trump wins and we'll have so much to talk about with what the next four years looks like if that occurs. And then there's also the Senate. There's the Senate. I believe that there will be a narrow Senate majority that the Republicans maintain. I think it's going to be a 51 seats. That's what I see happening. It's going to be very. So you're going to have a very tight presidential election with that ends up with a Republican in office and a very tight Senate election that ends up with a 51 continued majority, but a 51 seat majority for the Republicans. I think they lose a seat. As for the House of Representatives, I know uh, you're not going to want to hear it. I think it stays in Democrat hands, sadly. I just think the advantage is too big and it hasn't been a strong enough year uh, pointing to the economy and the, and the health care and all these different issues that move those individual congressional races. I, I just think that that's where we're going to be now. We'll have to revisit this and I, I could be wrong. And I told you that I was wrong in 2016. I thought I was sad about it, but I thought Hillary was going to win. I voted for Trump. I pushed for Trump, but I just figured the machinery was too powerful around her and there just didn't seem to be enough of a, but as, as we saw, it felt like a political miracle. Can lightning strike twice? People ask that question and they think, oh, it can. It can actually. In fact, there are many places where lightning strikes a whole lot. So I do think that lightning will strike twice. I think that Trump will win for a second time and the Democrats will go into spasms and fits of rage and despair, unlike anything we've ever seen before in American politics, certainly in my lifetime. That's what we're heading for, I believe, friends. But let's talk about the why. And let's also understand the Democrat, the, the, the forces at work right now and the Democrat mentality going into this election and what it means either for a Trump win or, heaven forbid, a Trump loss. What this party is that we are facing. That should that should be our focus today. And that's what we'll dive into together. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Biden, they say, is a moderate. Kamala, they suggest, is not only very hip. She's a she's a cultural elite, uh, but is a technocrat. You know, a, a lawyer, a prosecutor. These are not radicals. That's what they tell you. These are not radicals. Especially right now, that's what they're saying, because they're hoping people that aren't focused on politics, aren't listening to the Buck Sexton show every day, don't know what the heck's going on in the country. And I don't say that disparagingly. They got bills to pay. They got food to buy and kids to raise and so on and so forth. And But they're going to go into that polling booth tomorrow in Ohio, in Iowa, in Florida. And they're going to be thinking, well, who's better? Who's better for me? Who's going to make things feel more normal after a very abnormal year? Who's going to be that return to normalcy? And that's what they're posing Biden and Kamala as. That's what they're trying to convince us all is true of Biden and Kamala. 
Unfortunately, that's not reality. Biden is whatever the party, whatever the apparatchiks within the party decide he should be. And Kamala is, by voting record, the most left-wing member of the Senate. It does remind me quite a bit of Barack Obama, who ran as a centrist uniter, a kind of messianic figure for America, and was the furthest left member of the United States Senate at the time. So this is what Democrats keep doing. They have tickets that they put forward for the presidential race that they tell us are moderate. They tell us are down the center. But when it really comes down to it, you look at the actions of the people running before and they're either a vessel for the far left, as in Joe Biden, or they are openly themselves far left in their actions like Barack Obama and Kamala Harris. But they pretend to be something else to win the election. I have a perfect example of that for you here. This, I believe, is a Kamala Harris ad. It was making the rounds yesterday. I saw this and I I almost couldn't believe it was real at first because it's so honest. It's so honest about the Democrat left and, yes, socialist view of American society. And this is why they believe they should have so much government power. This is why they believe you should bend the knee to them on any issue because they are the great champions of equity. And you would say, wait a second, what what does that even really mean? What it means is that they're able to look and see parts of society that are unequal. And instead of allowing for the fact that society will always be unequal, that we are not equal in talents, gifts, hard work, ability, luck, well, we're not equal in those things, that's the price we pay to live in a free society, that freedom results in unequal outcomes. Some people decide to show up all the time, on time, work really hard, better themselves, you know, stay away from drugs, stay away from alcohol, get married, stay married, get enough sleep, take care of themselves, focus on their education, and they get to enjoy the uh, upside of that sound decision making. Other people are just, you know, pounding whole boxes of Frito-Lays and playing too much Call of Duty and don't really want to show up on time for work and don't really. And, you know, it's not about blaming people, but it's about choices. We live in a society full of choices. And there have been societies where that's not the case. And I'll be getting into that in a moment. We know what that's like. And it's misery. And it makes everyone poorer. And it makes everyone less off. And quite honestly, it really negates at some level the human experience. It takes away central aspects of your existence. If you do not have choice, what's the point? But Kamala wants you to know that any difference in wealth, status, health, you name it, any of those things in our society need to be stamped out, need to be stamped out by the government. This is her ad narrated in her voice. Play three. So there's a big difference between equality and equity. Equality suggests, oh, everyone should get the same amount. The problem with that, not everybody's starting out from the same place. So if we're all getting the same amount, but you started out back there and I started out over here, we can get the same amount, but you're still going to be that far back behind me. It's about giving people the resources and the support they need so that everyone can be on equal footing and then compete on equal footing. Equitable treatment 
means we all end up at the same place. Equitable treatment means we all end up at the same place. Now, put aside the kind of corny background music or, you know, the the sort of cheesy uh, production values here. Put that aside for a second. This is communism, friends. What, What she's describing is the philosophy of communism, that the state will make up for all the imbalances among people and the state will have to be empowered to bring us all to the same place in the end. This is the central philosophical appeal of Marxism. This is the basis upon which hundreds of millions of people throughout the 20th century were imprisoned, tortured, murdered, impoverished, forced into despair for generations. This notion is very, it can be very seductive at first. Empower the government to make us all the same in the end. She's saying it explicitly. Empower the government to make us all the same when it comes to what we have and who we are and what we've accomplished. I can look at my life and, and in honesty, determine different points where I could have made a better decision. I could have worked harder during that period. I could have made a better choice on this issue. And I try to learn from that and grow and understand that there are people who are just lucky. There are people who are just born with certain gifts, abilities, and talents. We all have something. We all have different things that we bring to the table. But if we're going to live in a free and prosperous society, part of that is accepting that some people have better parents than other people. Straight up. Some people are born with a lot of money and a lot of advantages. Some people come from nothing. And you just got to work with what you've got. When we talk about equality, what we mean is a legal system that treats people the same way and that our underlying uh, foundation as a society that we are all human beings who are equal in dignity, worth, and value in the eye of God. But we don't all get to have a Maybach in front of our $5 million mansion and show up for work when we feel like it. No, we, we don't all get to have that. And Kamala is showing you here what the Democrat Party's really turned into. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Every city, every town, burn the precincts to the ground. Those are Biden voters. Those are leftists, Democrats mostly. I mean, I don't know if they're all registered, but they support the Democrat Party. And I think we have to take their threat seriously. In fact, I know we have to take them seriously because they have burned down police precincts. They've actually done that. So why should we think this is harmless rhetoric? Well, there's no good answer to that other than Democrats always act like their base is the fringe, when in fact what they hold up as the fringe is is really their base. That those who are the most committed to a radical socialist future for this country are the truest believers in the Democrat Party today. And that's why Kamala Harris's little uh, communism tour that we just had in that in that ad, the, the little uh, 
visitation of communism upon us. I mean, that was pretty astonishing. I mean, think about this. She's actually telling you that the differences in our society, the differences in the way that we end up are the results of a system that is inequitable. And so you have to create a system that will deal with it. Does anyone really believe that such a perfect system could be created? No. What really happens, and we've seen this play out through, uh, through history, what really happens is that when you empower the state to make decisions for you, when you empower the government to be making all of the major choices in our lives, who gets what, who goes where, how much can you have, how much can you keep, doesn't get rid of the problems of inequity in society. Right? But again, the transition of words here is not a minor thing. This is important. It's important to understand. What it does, though, when you empower the state in that way, is it gives it an excuse to indulge in even more social engineering. It'll say, okay, so we've been doing this, and we've made some progress, but there's still inequity to be challenged. There's still inequity that we have to change. And say, well, that means you need even more power, right? Oh, no, at that point, we don't get to say that. You know why? Because we won't be able to stop it. Because they'll be in control of so much of the system already that now it's just up to those who are in charge. But then if we if we go back and look at what happens to the people who are in charge, we also get a very important lesson. The Kamala's, the Pelosi's, the Chuck Schumer's. Do you think that they suffer? No, they don't suffer. Because while they mouth all of the pre-approved slogans, about equity while they're running around telling everybody about how they how life is not fair. And the only reason your neighbor's got a bigger house and a nicer car than you is because the system gave it to him. But you've worked just as hard. You're just as smart. You're just as valued economically in our society, which is not the same thing as being valued as a human being. I mean, this is a very straightforward you. you if somebody walks past you and they've got a $50,000 Rolex on. I mean, they probably, I mean, some of you probably have really nice watches, but I'm saying they, they might have more money than you do. But if they walk past you and they punch you in the face, they're going to get arrested for assault if you call the police. And no one cares that they've got money. That's the difference between equality and an equity. Equity complaints are, why does this person have a nicer watch than me? Equality complaints are, why is this person able to steal from me and not get punished or attack me, violate my rights and not have the state intervene on my side. That's the difference in equality and equity. The Democrats, you will notice, are focused in here. This is not minor. This is central to their philosophy. This is central to the way that they view the world and the way that they insist that they should govern. And they're not going to ask when, once they get the power. They're going to demand. They're going to tell you. This is the dictatorial impulse of the Democrats on display, what they're saying is any different results in the in the end for anything is somehow evidence of a bias, is evidence of, of a system being unfair. And they never really stop to think or they don't care if they do. What makes them think that they can create a more fair system? Exactly. Not a system based in equality, which we have, except for actually some places in our system where. In, for example, in affirmative action, there are eliminations of equality as a function of law. We are not actually treated equally 
because of programs like affirmative action. There is inequality in the system, and it is only for chosen minority groups. Really interesting statistic came out over the weekend. Asian females in America now, on a per capita basis, earn more money than the evil white male. White males, the the scourge of all humanity, the the creators of colonialism and the patriarchy and all this stuff that people are unfortunately being brainwashed with this nonsense all the time. Notice white males, we get all that we we have all these these lib radical pseudo intelligentsia types talking about how damaging and dangerous white males are all the time. But they're never like, well, we also want to say thank you to white males for some of the good things that they've done throughout history. No, there's never that. That's not a discussion that ever gets had. There's, there's no upside. We're just the oppressors. Well, somehow we've created a system in America. And I guess, you know, we all have our hand in this one. It's not just white males, but we've created a system in America where they're so good at, at enforcing the patriarchy and being oppressors that now white males are out earned by female Asian Americans on a per capita basis. So they're making more money. That's pretty interesting, isn't it? What, what, what kind of system, what kind of oppressors create a system where they're not going to be in, uh, they're not in first place? You know what I mean? When it comes to earning power. That's very strange. Do you think that there were people who were more powerful and better off in the communist system than members of the Politburo? Do you think there were people that were living better than those making the decisions in the communist hierarchy in name any communist country? No. So as long as the Pelosi's and the Schumer's and the Kamala's and the, you know, you, you just name a powerful Democrat, the Cuomo's, the Newsom's, as long as they get to be a part of this apparatus that determines what equity needs to be addressed, changed by the government, as long as that's happening, um, they'll be fine because they'll always make sure there are carve outs. I mean, they're special. Their carve outs for them, their family. Look at Gavin Newsom. His his children are going to a very fancy private school, still open, still having private school instruction. But his base, his psycho liberal base, demands that there are all kinds of school closures in California. So that's what ends up happening for public school kids. Too bad for them. Isn't it also amazing how many people are big proponents of how great the teachers' unions are and public school systems all throughout the Democrat Party? And they do everything they can to send their children to very expensive elite private schools. Even though they live in fancy neighborhoods that probably have pretty decent public schools. No, it's never their kids that they want to sacrifice to the system. And that's true of themselves as well. And that's why this Kamala line here about about, you know, equity uh, and how we have disparate outcomes in the end. Well, Kamala Harris is is on the vice presidential ticket. And she's somebody who's done nothing particularly impressive in her life other than work the system. But she wants to tell you that the system is horribly oppressive, sexist, racist and xenophobic. And if you put people who have her perspective in charge. And Joe Biden will just share whatever perspective she tells him to. They're going to make all of this better. This is the foundational lie of communism and socialism. And remember, the communists in the early days referred to themselves as socialists, Marx constantly wrote about socialism and socialists. So we think there's this huge separation. We're led to believe there's this massive separation between the two when really they are very, they are, they are near cousins. They might even be considered 
siblings in political philosophy. So what do we what do we see from all of this? They let the mask slip sometimes, friends. You, you begin to understand what the Democrat Party is really about. They can never have enough power and never infringe upon your rights or your freedom enough because they'll, they're never able to eradicate the inequity that is inherent in the human condition. Understand this, even in the most radical of circumstances, even the most radical of circumstances, which I think you'd consider for communist purposes, the Soviet Union to be, and you can find other places as well. There were enormous inequities. There were people who lived much longer than others. There were people who were better looking, people who were smarter, people who had nicer houses. And then when you added in the bureaucrats and the actual apparatus of communism, enormous, enormous differences in the food and the health care and the housing that those individuals received and their whole mission. Remind yourself of this. Their whole mission was to eradicate those differences. So the people whose reason for getting out of bed in the morning, the bureaucrats who justified their very position under the promise that they would eliminate, as Kamala discusses here, inequity in society, a different end state, different results from life choices. Those people were the greatest evidence of inequity in the society. Does anyone think that wouldn't happen again? And now you could say, Buck, come on, Joe Biden doesn't want the tax rate to be 80% on you know, people making above $400,000 a year. He wants it to be you know, 60%. Yeah, it's all incremental, friends. It all comes from this very basic separation within our worldview. You can either take the perspective that life is, life is unfair. Life is unfair. A lot of us wish that we were taller, smarter, you know, more beautiful, more handsome, that, you know, we, we had been born, you know, a billionaire or born the greatest baseball player in the world or whatever. Right. Everyone has the, the things that they wish they could change. Of course, they don't really know the struggles that those people that they look at, especially if they read too much of these tabloids and everything else. They think, oh, they're so beautiful and so happy. Really? It's actually a lot of misery for many of those people. A lot of emptiness, but. That's another conversation. But we all wish that things could be perfect, and they're not. But we can either adopt a found, and I, this is a foundational point of life philosophy here, your approach to day to day. You can either understand that what matters is how you act, how you treat other people, how you try to work to better yourself, whether you're a moral person, an honorable per- person, somebody who you know, people want to work with and have as a neighbor have as a friend, a family member. That's what actually matters. All that other stuff, you know, having a Maserati and a six pack or, you know, looking like, a, you know, a, a 10 out of 10 in a bikini or whatever, whatever these things are, these superficial aspects of society or, or thinking that people are all going to have the same health outcomes. I wish I could eat gluten, friends, but I can't. You know, and you've got countless people listening to this who have far more serious health problems than that. And they go through life as, as, in, as, as heroes to others around them just by being really good people. Ah, but, but empower Kamala Harris. She cares so much about you. Empower her, Biden, the Democrats, and the mainstream media who are all aspiring to separate themselves from the very policies they create for the rest of us. You know, they're all looking down at us from their mansions 
in Bel Air and the Hamptons telling us and the people who aren't there yet, who are part of this apparatus are just scrambling to get there as fast as possible. That's their that's their life's mission. But they're really pretending to care about the poor and the struggling. And all they're really going to do is squeeze and hold down the middle class, squeeze and make life harder for those who already feel like their challenges are not appreciated by the left wing apparatus, that they that the ability to show up to do a job where you are underappreciated and underpaid, but know that that's what you have to do for now. And you find honor and dignity in doing it, in being responsible. The Democrat Party doesn't really have much, uh, much feeling or respect at all for that group. Democrats have turned to a party of elites and whiners and dependents. You've either made your millions, you've either put yourself in a great position, become some bureaucrat of the public school system making 180 grand a year, does basically nothing. You've either milked the system effectively or you're demanding that others provide milk for you from the system. That is the Democrat Party of today. And everybody else who's saying, I'll take it upon my own shoulders, I'll find my own way. They're getting squeezed in the middle and told, you're not doing enough. In fact, you haven't built that. You haven't earned that. And so we can take it from you. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. For decades, Joe Biden let other countries rip you off, rip off our country and cheat America blind. And there was a group they would just they would let him do anything. Biden has been there for five decades. And the only people who benefited from his policies were himself and his family. Frankly, he shows up every four years and then goes back to Washington and caters to special interests. But my only interest is you. Who benefited the most from Joe Biden being in public office? I think that's an important question. I think it's one that really deserves an answer that people who are still on the fence about voting for Trump or thinking about whether they can pull the lever for Joe Biden. I think they should answer this question. I think it's quite obvious. It's Joe Biden. The president sees it. Joe Biden ran for the Senate and sat in the Senate for as many decades as he did. Because it was the position of greatest benefit for Joe Biden. He, he wasn't drawn to be a leader because he felt the need to serve his country. He wasn't someone who had built a really successful career or had had done anything prior to being a politician and thought, you know what? I want to change things to make people's lives better. No, he figured, OK, I kind of get this game. I'm good at, you know, grinning and smiling and I look the part and I sound the part. And it's kind of like being an actor. So I can do this and I'll have a nice salary and cushy benefits. And my big the biggest challenge I have is fundraising. And that just involves a lot of, you know, glad handing and big grins. And yeah, that's what Joe Biden is in the political realm. Not a man who stood for any important ideas, not a man who has any important ideas, really. And we're supposed to elect him to be president of the United States and assume that that's going to make everything so much better. Assume that that's going to benefit you, make your life better. Friends, this is this is nonsense. You don't really believe this. I don't really believe this. Nobody really can convince themselves of this, but that's where we are. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts.
Let's remind ourselves of just who the Democrats hold up as as the answer to this country's prayer right now for uh, beating beating COVID, a return to normalcy, all these things that we want so very badly. Let let's remind ourselves who the man is that's supposed to lead us out of this darkness. This is what they'll tell us. While Trump and Biden are crisscrossing the country now at a, at a furious pace, trying to make their final pitch, I, I think you should at least listen to the man. Let's, let's give Joe Biden a fair shake today and hear what he's got to say. Play 11. I'll lead an effective strategy to mobilize true international effort to pressure. There you go. True international effort to pressure. <laughs> That's amazing, isn't it? It's amazing. It's amazing. Come on. I'm the talking points are getting scrambled upstairs and the seven little chipmunks sitting on a branch eating a lot of acorns on Joe Biden's ranch. True international effort to pressure. come on guys how many of you have have had a like i i I speak extemporaneously for hours and hours and hours every day and sometimes you know i'll i'll mumble something a little bit but i mean that was that was what just i mean i'm we're playing you as audio you know, Trump might mispronounce a word or he has a very particular cadence and way of saying things. I've never heard him say. I mean, that sounded like what somebody who is uh, has a high fever and is actually delirious. That sounded like something that that they would say. That sounded like something that, uh, you know, if you somebody was at one hundred and three hundred and four fever, which I mean, if you ever get up there, it's really bad. And it's scary because they'll kind of start mumbling stuff and they don't. I've been there. I know what it's like to be delirious from a high fever. And you think you're speaking, but everyone else is like, what is this person saying? That's what Joe, that, that's, this is the, supposed to be the leader of the free world. He's almost 80 years old, folks. And Democrats are like, yeah, you got to vote for him because he's going to effectively mobilize their scrubber. True international effort to pressure. And you got another one here. Here's, uh, here's him talking about about uh, health care, where, where he's supposed to have the big advantage. Play 12. Brock and I think it's a right for people to have bad health care. Wait, what is Bad health care. Bad health care. Yeah, I mean, you get it, guys. Now, look, they're, they're the ones that are insisting. They're the ones that are insisting that the problem here is Donald Trump and that Joe Biden is the guy who's going to who's going to answer answer the call, right? That this is the person that we're supposed to think is going to return everything to normalcy and and make everything so much better. And I I do think that it's it's at least fair to ask the question, what evidence is there of that? There is evidence of one thing and one thing only that I can say goes in that column. He is not Donald Trump. I think that's it, though. I think beyond that, you'd, you'd have to wonder, what is the pitch here? He was around. He was uh, just kind of hanging out during Barack's years. I mean, it was a he was supposed to be a foreign policy specialist. And the Obama administration's foreign policy is so terrible 
that the media realizes it's a risk to even try to bring that up much against Trump. To try to, anything that brings the comparison to mind between Trump and Obama on foreign policy looks bad for Obama. I mean, they'll talk about the Iran deal, which anybody who knows the deal understands was was crap and and also feels that that seething irritation from having the most powerful country in the world give some rinky dink dictatorship in Iran pallets of cash delivered to them, you know, in cash like they were holding us hostage as a country, you know, pay off the mullahs. That was the Obama team approach. Never mind the disasters in Syria and Libya and Iraq and deterioration in Afghanistan, all these things that happened. Total mess. They didn't even bring up foreign policy. But Joe Biden was the foreign policy guy of the Obama administration. That's why he got he got brought into it. And this is a guy who anyone who has worked in foreign policy, it's, it's a joke. Joe Biden, even in the you know national security expertise circles, and I know these circles because I used to exist within them as somebody at the CIA and then afterwards, everyone laughs about Joe Biden. I and mean, this is a guy who's been wrong on everything for 40 years. Every, deci- every time the U.S. had to make a foreign policy decision, Joe Biden was useful in that he was so reliably wrong. His judgment was so consistently poor that all you really had to know was what side of the issue is Joe Biden on and you'd want to be on the other side. He's like the guy at the at the blackjack table that, you know, if, if he's if he's going what? Well, I guess it depends on, on your cards, too. But he's the guy at the sports betting place. There you go. Where whatever team he's betting on, you want to bet on the team that's playing them. That was Joe Biden on foreign policy. But, oh, yeah, he's uh, he's going to make everything better. And, he, and here he is in another. Biden. we got all these Biden. This is just from the last few days. Play 13. This isn't a political statement like those ugly folks over there beeping the horns. This is a patriotic duty, for God's sake. It's your patriotic duty to wear a mask, he's telling you. He also called them ugly folks. I know that. But see, that's that's kind of funny. I play that not to pretend like that's a that's that's different than. You know, leading an effective strategy to mobilize. True international pressure. Exactly. That that's a different thing. When he says, uh, when he says, you know, ugly folks. Look, he's speaking. Uh, you know, he's he didn't mean that their faces are ugly, right? That's it's not like when he's when he called the supporter a long a lying dog faced pony soldier or called the guy fat, and then they tried to claim. That he was saying something else like fella. I don't know. They had some line about this. Uh, what was the other? They had another. Oh, he went, when he started talking about George Bush, but they really four more years of George Lopez. They were saying, yeah, yeah, sure. Four more years of George Lopez. That's what he was talking about. That makes a lot of sense. But look, the, the media. Remember, it's like a lawyer in a courtroom. If you think of journalists as unscrupulous lawyers for the Democrat Party, everything makes sense. Nothing surprises you anymore because, you know, a lawyer that's unscrupulous will make all kinds of arguments in court that are pathetic and and anybody should be able to see through them. And they're not based in justice and they're not based in what's right. It's just whatever will work, whatever will work in the moment for my client. You know, whatever will work in the moment, they'll, they'll attack the credibility of a witness that should be you know beyond reproach, all, all the stuff. Right. And they'll say, oh, it's because I have to do what's best for my client. And that's lawyers. And that is the that is the system that we have. But I'm just saying 
think of journalists like unscrupulous lawyers for the Democrat Party, and you'll know every move they're going to make. You'll know everything that they're going to do. Um, but but uh, Biden here, you know, making his reference to the folks, folks being ugly. Uh, there's no question that New York City, Washington, D.C. and some other Democrat strongholds are on edge over the next 24 hours or so. And we're on edge not because we're worried about generalized violence. We're on edge not because there's a concern that maybe someone somewhere from who knows what political party is going to act out in in mobs and riots meant to intimidate, meant to destroy, meant to meant to show some kind of vengeance against American society, which is ultimately what this is about. No, what we are seeing is preparation for Democrat riots. Over the weekend, I see a Wolf Blitzer at CNN shared some tweet about how distressing it was that businesses all over downtown D.C., an area I've lived in and know very well, businesses are setting up really serious, large, sturdy wooden barricades and and boarding up their windows and their uh, their store, their uh, door fronts, all of this in preparation for Election Day stuff. That's not the country we're supposed to be. And, and I agree when Democrats like Wolf Blitzer point that out. That's, we're not supposed to be that country. The problem is they are the reason we're not that country. The problem is it is Democrats who refuse to accept that they don't necessarily get their way. They didn't in 2016 and they may not again. That's why we all have to deal with this degree of fear. And it is absolutely shameful. It's shameful that this is where we are, and we should also know who deserves to be shamed for it, and it's not Trump supporters. I saw over the weekend these massive Trump convoys, one in Beverly Hills, all over the place, and the convoy, I think there was one that was supposed to be 100 miles long or something in Arizona. I mean, these convoys are enormous, thousands and thousands, perhaps tens of thousands of vehicles, and I'm I'm all in favor. I think that's great. And I see the Trump rallies over the weekend were absolutely huge. And the, the photos of all the people gathered, it, it makes me feel better about the future of this country when I see all of that. I can also tell you that I find it very discouraging that the people that are supposed to be bringing us information about the state of this country, the nature of our democracy, the mainstream media not only refuses to be honest about where the threat of violence on Election Day comes from, but they are largely to blame for creating that environment. They have been saying the president of the United States is a a usurper, effectively, is is a guy with a who stole an election on behalf of the Russians, that he was part of a Russian plot. This was all a lie. They've never apologized. They've never come forward to say, we're sorry, we got this one wrong. No, no, quite the opposite. They, they double down. Now, now they've gone with he should be impeached because of a Ukraine phone call for an investigation uh, request that involved Hunter Biden that, as we know, was 100% legitimate. Hunter Biden was running corrupt games and selling the office of the vice president. We all know it. We've got proof. We've got evidence. Couldn't be any more clear. Media is debunked debasing itself to avoid that absolutely debasing itself and so we have to ask the question why would we ever trust them again 
why would we ever believe in what they tell us? And I think we shouldn't. But the violence will come from the left. We all know it. We all Democrats, Biden voters, just as they were doing to the country all summer with the BLM riots and the left. There's some study that says 700 people have died from covid because of Trump rallies. Hmm. Where's the really it's just based on modeling, which is garbage in, garbage out. Where's the really intense, you know, scientifically and mathematically sound study of all the people who died from covid from the BLM marches? Mm? No, nothing. Yeah. Oh, I didn't think so. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Here's a Democrat for you uh, vocalizing her feelings about law enforcement here in New York City. A Biden voter. Play 10. All of your children get raped and killed. You're a That's right. A Biden voter in New York City screaming at police, not even at Trump supporters, at police for preventing her and the psychopathic leftists that have gathered around her to intimidate and attack Trump voters, screaming at, at, at a fellow human being, in this case, law enforcement, quote, I hope I hope your children get raped and killed. This was a white girl, probably 24, 25 years old. I mean, what what a horrific embarrassment to humanity. But but also, I mean, this is increasingly standard stuff for Biden Democrats. They're going to return us to normalcy, but somehow the party that will bring us back to normalcy is full of lunatics with bad ideas that will be destructive, that don't work, that involve more inefficient, slothful, destructive government policy. But it's going to bring us back to normalcy, folks, it's going to build back better. That's what they're telling us. No, the uh, the country is going to be in for some convulsions here if things get really, really nasty. And as I've been saying to you, I, I do believe that this is going to be a tight election. I told you my prediction at the top. I think Trump's going to get between 272 and 280 votes, uh, electoral college votes. And I've also been saying I don't believe Pennsylvania will concede on election night no matter what, because if it's within one or if it's within one or two percentage points, they're going to say the mail in ballots still need to be counted that haven't been counted. And to give you a sense of what we're heading for here, the attorney general for the state of Pennsylvania, now attorney general for the state, supposed to enforce the law and it's supposed to be about the law. But of course, the guy's a Democrat. So the law doesn't really count. And he writes here, if all of this was on Twitter, if all the votes are added up in Pennsylvania, Trump is going to lose. That's why he's working overtime to subtract as many votes as possible from this process. For the record, he's 0 and 6 against us in court. We've protected voting rights. Uh, Now, ignore the noise and vote. So the uh, attorney general in Pennsylvania for the state is, is straight up saying that Trump will lose this election. That's pretty uh, uncomfortable thing for the person who may have to weigh in on the legality of different precincts and voting issues and everything else. Pretty uncomfortable thing. To, but this is where we are. It's all out partisan warfare. So while Democrats go around pretending they're going to be not just a return to normalcy, but somehow they respect our institutions, They make it quite clear that the only way the institutions will remain respected is if their preferred candidate wins. Here you go with an MSNBC contributor. 
making that even more explicit. And, and this this dives into the mentality that we're all going to be confronting if Trump does, in fact, end up winning, which I believe he will play five. Once we do get into those final 48 and 72 hours before Election Day, because we know people are voting in mass right now. But if we see in those final polls the type of lead that Joe Biden has now, double digits, let me just give a warning to the people of the United States. The polls are not going to be wrong. When you see that kind of a result, those are indicative, scientifically done polls of what the American electorate is suggesting they're going to do having already voted. So it's a counterweight, if you will, to fraud. And we need to be very vigilant, all of us, about looking at all of the average of polls, particularly from those reputable pollsters in the final 24, 48 and 72 hours, because at that point, those polls become predictive of the outcome. And these are smart professional pollsters in my profession who are doing this. They could very much be a counterweight. If we have those polls with Biden up double digits, but Trump somehow wins, quote unquote, by one or two points, then something will be rotten in the state of Denmark. And we need to be very vigilant about that. Polls can help democracy in that regard. Polls can help democracy by undermining the results of the election. Trump's going to win. It's going to be tight. A lot of pollsters know this. And they're going to have some people asking questions. So what are they saying right now? Well, if he does win and it's by a narrow margin, even though we were saying he was going to lose by double digits in all these different states that really matter, he must have cheated. That's what's ha- That guy was a pollster. That's what's happening here. They're already telling you that if Trump wins, it is because he cheated. That's going to be the story. That's the way they're going to go with this. Get ready for that. Thanks for listening to the Bus Sex and Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Are you concerned at all uh, that President Trump might prematurely declare victory based on that? And when do you think we'll know who won Michigan? Well, I think that's a very real possibility, and that's why we are trying to make sure that everyone in the press understands the volume of votes that are coming in is like nothing we've ever seen before, and it is going to take time to count. And it's more important that we get a count that is accurate than a count that is fast and might not be accurate. And that's why uh, we will continue to keep you posted. Uh, We will be very transparent and give you regular updates, but we want to get this count right. They're going to keep you posted, she says. Oh, sure. Yeah. All right, guys. I think we all need to prepare for this because there was, at least for me, psychologically, the election was going to be a moment of exhalation. Okay, I I just want to know what our future is, right? I I want to know. I want it to be done that night. And yes, I want Donald Trump to be president. But I don't think that's going to end up happening. Now, I think that we'll see... Trump is leading and Trump will probably end up win probably end up winning after the election. It's not going to be a huge win. It's going to be a win, though. But they're going to say no. This is another part of my prediction. I, I don't see a future in which uh, Trump gets to declare victory and the Democrats concede. That's not the same thing on election night. And notice they're already planting the seed here. The governor of Michigan the district, I mean, the uh, state attorney general for Pennsylvania, they're already preparing for a legal fight over this election. They haven't seen there's no reason to believe that they'll have to do that. There's no uh, no reason to think that that's 
going to be the way this plays out, but they are preparing for that. They're getting ready to drag it out. And then things will get really ugly because, as we saw in 2000 with the Bush v. Gore recount situation, uh, they will want to change the rules in real time. It's about democracy, they'll say, when it comes to ballots that aren't filled out, ballots that, you know, they, they lack a signature, ballots that arrive late, ballots that, you know, whatever it may be. You know, there'll be there'll be cases of people doing ballot harvesting that where they're not supposed to and they'll say, oh, there's no fraud. Don't worry. I mean, it's going to be an absolute mess. And that's the way the Democrats want it, because they figure if they can turn this into a street fight. They'll win. I mean, think about what's happening now on the streets. They're boarding up stores. They're preparing for unrest and all kinds of madness. And it's because of Democrats that that's what's going on. We, we all know that. We all understand that. You don't think that that same frenetic, lunatic energy is going to be applied to whatever ends up happening on election night when it gets extended? You don't think that they're going to still have the, the shock troops of the Democrat Party out there? And then they'll be bringing their lawyers with them, too. There'll be a lot more. So I think that Pennsylvania gets delayed. I also think that places like Michigan, perhaps, you know, you might have you might have a couple of states that say, sorry, we, we don't have a full count for you yet. And it's going to be a tight enough election that that could very well be the difference. So they, they've set it up. The only way that we have a, a, a both sides agreed upon victory election night is if Joe Biden takes, you know, Ohio, Florida and, and all the rest of the blue states. Then, then it's then it's lights out, folks. And we'll we'll regroup. We'll be OK. We'll come back and we'll hopefully have a set. If we have a Senate majority, they're basically going to make sure they sit on the Biden agenda and very little happens for the at least for the next uh, two years anyway. So that's the best that I can tell you for a silver lining on that one. And I'm sure there'll be some other races that turn out well for Republicans and we'll be able to say that's that's promising. I'm really pulling for my friends Sean Parnell in PA 17 and uh, Anna Paulina down in uh, Tampa, Tampa, Florida, Anna Paulina Luna, hoping they both win their congressional seats. That would be fantastic. Uh, and they'll, they'll both be real forces in the Republican Party, uh, either you know individually, if hopefully they both win. They'll be doing very well. And... Uh, that's that's very important, I think, for everyone to understand expectations wise here. I think I'm going to be talking to you Wednesday and you can follow me on obviously social media. I'll be real time commenting on all this and and watch election night coverage on the first TV. Please do that as well. If you haven't downloaded the first app, it's free. Just download it to your smartphone. You can watch me, Bill O'Reilly, Jesse Kelly, Dana Lash anytime you want. Uh, we'll be doing live coverage election night. So, you know, I think I'm going to be talking to you saying it's looking good for Trump, but the Democrats are trying they're, they're trying to play games here. They're refusing to accept a loss. And that's just so ironic, isn't it? Because, as we know, we, we always hear about how Trump refuses to accept a loss. And for the second time, I believe we're going to see Democrats refusing to accept a loss. I mean, think of the the hyperbolic nature of the rhetoric that they use to describe this whole contest. Place six. Well, it's just a reminder that we still find ourselves in the civil rights movement. And right now we have the opportunity to write the next chapter in our civil rights history. 
you know, what were fire hoses and dogs are today's what happened in my district, arson and drop boxes is voter uh, voter suppression, intimidation uh, with long lines. So it is just more of the same. But it is also why we must be more emboldened than ever before when our democracy, our livelihood and our very lives are all on the ballot. Hmm. But it is uh, it is uh, infuriating. Our democracy and our lives are on the ballot. What's that all about? How, how are our lives on the ballot? I mean, that, that seems quite extreme, doesn't it? And this discussion of, of, of the new civil rights era, where is this, this voter intimidation taking place? You know, they, they speak in this very vague, Democrats will speak in these very vague terms about voter, voter suppression. It's everywhere, but they can never really find it. It's a little bit like systemic racism. It's everything and everywhere, but there's no real instance of it they're going to point to and be able to make the argument, well, that's the systemic racism we're talking about. And when they do, it's usually a very weak argument. You say, well, hold on, where is this systemic racism? Where is this systemic voter suppression? Right? You know, you would think that voting, which is a process, should have rules, and those rules should be enforced. But the closer we get to the actual election, you can see that the Democrat viewpoint on this is uh, rules don't count if discounting the rules helps us. If ignoring what the actual rules are is to our benefit, then that's what we're going to do. And we're going to pretend that anybody who does believe in the rules, anybody who does think that we should um, have, you know, it, it should be more defined based on what's actually written down instead of what the Democrats will benefit from politically. That person is a, engaged in voter suppression. They're a bad person, someone you can't trust, someone you they they're part of the anti civil rights movement of our day, so just get get ready for that, my friends. The fight around all of this, around this election, I do not believe it will be over tomorrow night. In fact, the only way it's over tomorrow night really is if Biden wins by a substantial margin, because our side won't do this. And I know some of you don't even want to hear this. Don't don't change that dial. I'm just I'm just saying. But if Biden wins, we're gonna say, wow, okay, COVID tough year. Trump did his best. Great presidency. Maybe, uh, you know, maybe we've got some other great people that are in the mix here four years from now. And we got to start thinking about the midterms and running the opposition against the Biden agenda. And, you know, we, we go on with our lives. That's it. We're not going to burn down stores and loot and riot. And that's what Democrats do. And I got to tell you, I saw a little bit of stuff over the weekend where it seemed like some Trump supporters just in one case were shutting down a bridge. No, don't do that. Don't do that. It's not helping. It's not good. Let the other side be the 100% of the politically motivated law-breaking by mobs, all the stupid stuff they do, the, you know, blocking traffic and, and you know, running wild in the streets and the mob violence and all that stuff. Let that be entirely Democrats. Do not do those kinds of tactics on the right. I'm sorry, I, you know, I love the caravans. I love the enthusiasm and the rallies. Amazing. And I'm so thankful the people out there who support Trump as much as I do are doing that stuff. We only had like one or two instances, but you know what happens now? Those get all the focus. You know, you shut down the Mario Cuomo bridge and who not. And I, I couldn't find anywhere. Was it shut down for, you know, two minutes or an hour? If it was two minutes. OK, I mean, not great, but like not the end of the world. If it's an hour or 30 minutes. We got a problem, folks. Can't do that. Libs do that crap. Libs pull that nonsense. We don't do that stuff. 
You know, if nothing else, the Republican Party is the party of civilization, law and order and and a society run by emotionally stable adults. That's what the Republican Party of Donald Trump right now represents, as opposed to their opponents on the other side. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. One other thing I want to throw in here. We we keep hearing that Donald Trump is, and you know, this is one of their favorite things. It's very hard to argue with liberals over this. They'll say Donald Trump is a liar. We'll always hear Donald Trump is a liar. And so you, I can't, I can't vote for him. I can't support him because he lies. He lies. They always say this. And yeah, the president can be a little bit of a BS artist sometimes on some things, a little imprecise with his words. He does exaggerate a little bit. He's, he's a salesman. But, you know, and now he's president. He's a politician. But I can't think of anything that Trump has lied about that was a matter of urgent public concern that was a true lie where he, he took us in a direction that was the intentional opposite of what he knew to be factually true. I mean, I, and I know they would say there's 15,000 cases where Trump lies, and then you look at them and it's always an opinion, it's always whatever. So then you have Joe Biden, who's supposed to be Mr. Honesty. And this is something that I, I have to laugh about because there's so much dishonesty in the presentation of Joe Biden as an honest guy. Joe Biden has a history of plagiarism, of lying about his personal achievements and his record. I mean, lying, right? Trump never said, I, I you know, I have a PhD from Harvard. And it, well, he actually, as you know, went to Wharton, which is one of the best business schools in the world. But, you know, he hasn't said something about where he went to school and and where he was in class rank as Joe Biden has is a total lie and tried to leverage that, tried to be- benefit from that politically. You know, Joe Biden has, has lied his butt off about things when he was running for president before. And we, we're supposed to just not we're supposed to just not care. And here's another case of this. Here's another case of Joe. But this is just a lie. This isn't a, a, a difference of opinion. This isn't a matter of gauging the extent of the truthfulness. This is a flat out lie in the absolute most important moment of an election cycle. Here's what Joe Biden says. Play 14. There's nothing to any of that. Nothing to any of that. It's all a smear. Every major outfit, every serious investigator has pointed out that this is a smear. This is classic Trump. We have four days left, and all of a sudden there's a laptop. And you may may recall there's also talk about four months before there was a similar thing that somebody had, allegedly. There's overwhelming evidence that from the intelligence community that the Russians are engaged. I mean, look, this is my son's an honorable man. And all the investigations that were done around the issue of what was going on in Ukraine, if you notice, every one of the major people who worked for Trump during the impeachment went under oath and under oath said Biden did his job. No law was broke. Biden, this Biden, did his job. Hunter Biden broke no laws. That was the testimony, their testimony from Republicans and intelligence community people. What a slimy liar this guy is. I mean, he's lying his butt off here. It's gross. 
Russian. He's straight up going with the oh, the Hunter Biden's laptop is Russian disinformation. Why aren't members of the press? And I asked that rhetorically. We all know why. But if they really did their jobs, every single stop he did, every place where he subjected himself to any questions, they would say, is the Hunter Biden laptop real? Yes or no. It's a yes or no. question. Not everything's a yes or no question. They try to make the do you believe in climate change? Well, what does that really mean? And the climate change is yes. Do I think that, you know, AOC should be running economic policy based on green socialist nonsense? No, I do not. Uh, but this is a yes or no, right? You know, what is is my name Buck Sexton? Yes, there's no there's no. Well, it depends on what you mean. No, no. I mean, the answer is yes. Is the laptop real? Yes or no. They won't push him on that question. And that's because he wants to get away with this. Notice he lies. He talks about testimony. He mentioned something from four months ago. NBC News claims to have found some document that was from a fake intelligence community on intelligence uh, person online that no one had ever heard of that had no influence on anything. But that's actual disinformation. They're taking something that has nothing to do with anything. They drop it out there in the public conversation. And then they pretend that this report which is like sort of supposed to be the equivalent of the dossier on Hunter Biden that no one's heard of, that no one's talking. We're talking about a laptop that was found. We have all the stuff. We've got all the goods. But they they talk about this other thing. It's meant to be just a distraction to muddy up the waters. They you cannot make it up, friends. Biden and his little Democrat handlers and allies are using actual disinformation to falsely claim that Trump and his allies on this issue are peddling disinformation. They're using disinfo to lie about fighting disinfo. That is what the Biden camp is up to right now. And this just goes to honesty. You think this guy is honest? Really? Anybody, anybody believe that? Anybody really want to explain to me um, why that's true? No, of course not. But it just goes into the narrative. The narrative is that Joe Biden's a good, honorable, decent man, and Donald Trump is this this evil liar. That's what they always say. Um, that in itself is a lie. That's the great irony here, that Joe Biden is honest. They just can't help themselves, friends. And, and, and anything they have to do at this point, as I've been telling you, they view as entirely just lying about lying to beat Trump isn't really lying if you're a Democrat. That's how they view it. Whatever you got to do. Yeah, pretend it's Russian disinformation on the laptop. No intelligent person thinks that. Pretend it's Russian disinformation. Yeah, sure, why not? Nonsense. It's pathetic, isn't it? But it, sh- it shows you who they are and what they're really all about. And th- that's something that we should all know. And we should remember that going into election tomorrow. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Let's get some word from the campaign trail, folks, and a man you all know very well. In fact, hopefully you're already sleeping on one of his pillows and perhaps uh, taking a nap this afternoon or tomorrow morning or whatever on his sheets. We got our friend Mike Lindell with us now. He is the uh, the founder, inventor, and CEO of My Pillow, and uh, we're so happy to have him now. Mike, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me on. So you are out at some of these rallies speaking on behalf of the president, 
And in some of the key states, Wisconsin, Michigan, and I know you do your manufacturing in your in your home state of Minnesota. Tell us, what are you seeing out there at these rallies and what are you hearing from the folks who are hoping Trump wins? Well, there's a lot of things. One is that the uh, they just did a they just did a poll. And I guess 20 some percent of these people attending these rallies are former Democrats or are Democrats. And another 20 some percent never voted in 2016. So I'm very encouraged. And just the last few days, the real polls came out and you had Iowa up by seven, Minnesota, my home state, that we're going to shock the world up by two. I mean, these are, and, and you know, then I went down to Georgia and here 60,000 people show up. I've never seen anything. I've been to, you know, I've been to concerts. I've been to huge events. I've never seen like this, the enthusiasm. And the, people walk for miles, miles to get to that rally. And Mike, uh, Minnesota, this one would, you said shock the world. That's absolutely the right description because Minnesota, Minnesota is supposed to be solidly in the blue column, right? That's what we're all led to believe. But you right. know that state very well. It's your home state. Just tell us, what, what makes you think Minnesota in particular is going to go Trump? Well, let me set the things at stage two. We've been blue since 1972. Oh, this is incredible. Um, but we, uh, we now, in 2016, the president came within 40,000 votes within a percentage point of winning. And he only came there once. That was two days before the election. I actually spoke at that. Well, he made me honorary chairman of the Minnesota Trump campaign. Well, I took that to a level and that you wouldn't believe it. We, here's what's happened in Minnesota. We reached out to 5 million people, either knocking on doors to talk to them or by phone. That was done. The Iron Range in Minnesota, even all the Democratic mayors, there's nine of them that flipped and made it very public because the president saved our Iron Range with his steel tariffs, everything he's done. In South, all our farmers, we got the biggest purchase order from China in history uh, just a few short weeks ago. So they're all on board. And then we have the suburbs and we have Minneapolis and St. Paul. Well, let me tell you, what we had was the worst decisions ever made by a governor and mayor when this, uh, when the riots started in Minnesota that manifested to riots around our country and the world, these terrible decisions, now you have all the suburbs, all the women, they want, they're going to vote for Donald Trump. We want safety and security. We want our police force. We want that safety and security. You have all the suburban moms wanting their kids to go back to school. We need to open our schools. And then we have another advantage with other states. Don't have. We have Elon Omar. And when she got voted in, when she got in, we took Keith Ellison place, our terrible attorney general. Here's a country where all these people came from that don't. She makes it. She's not a Trojan horse. She makes it very well known. She doesn't like the USA. She, and she certainly doesn't like Israel. So we have all these advantages. But one of the things on the ground, I did a commercial for the president of Minnesota where these we had a roundtable. It's kind of like a my pillow commercial, but it was very organic. And I asked these Democrats who are former Democrats why they're flipping. A lot of them said, you know, I don't even like the president, but I sure like what he's done. I like promises kept that he's kept. And a lot of them said, my Democratic Party, that ship sailed a long time ago. If I vote Democrat, I'm not voting for I'm voting for a Trojan horse with Biden. And I'm voting for this radical, crazy socialist um, agenda that they have. And it would be and we all realize that, Minnesota, we've gotten the word out. So I'm very confident we're going to shock the world. And I told the president about two or three weeks ago, I said, I said, we're going to win Minnesota, sir. We're speaking to inventor and CEO of MyPillow. You all know him, Mike Lindell, the man himself. He's out there on the campaign trail trying to make it happen 
for this president. Mike, for, for people listening, I mean, because you have the unique perspective of being someone who you know, gets to go to these rallies and, and the president you know, knows you well. But you're also day to day, you know, you're running a business, a very successful, large business that's partnered with this show. And we appreciate that very much. Uh, what has been different about these four years and, and try to give us, you know, as, as much of the of the real meat of the matter as you can. What's different under a Trump administration for a big national level business like yours from what it would have been facing under the Obama Biden years? Well, it was all the regulations that he's been taken out of the picture. So small business can survive. And obviously the biggest tax cuts in history. And what I've seen, what I've noticed, you know, I was always very, my, my, my pillow, I have 1,500, I call them careers, not just jobs, 1,500 employees. But what I noticed is, wow, all around us in where my factories are, all the other people, new manufacturing was coming in. The ones that were there were paying more. You know, right before this China virus pandemic, we had the best economy ever, the, the lowest unemployment ever. But one of the things we had was consumer confidence. It was amazing where entrepreneurs and, and people were taking chances now with business, small businesses and, um, and inventions because they could fall back to a great paying job. And, you know, he got us through, this president got us through this pandemic, saved millions of lives, got us through, and is getting it through better than anyone in history. But I just watched all the promises when I met him in the summer of 2016, and we talked about, Mike, I'm going to bring the manufacturing back and, and just like my pillow and make it to the USA. And, and uh, he did all that. And I just watched it happen all around me where my friends that had lost their careers uh, prior to 2016, now they had high-paying jobs again, and their house is a, just a confidence. And we, and I've never seen anything like it in my lifetime with a direction and what he brought us in a few short years. And he's going to not only bring us out of this pandemic, but we're going to be stronger and safer than ever. He's just common sense. He turned the Repu Republican Party into the common sense party. I think that's absolutely true. I've been saying before, anyone who just looks at what makes sense in recent years, the policies as they've played out and understands how human nature and the economy really functions has to feel like the Democrat Party has to put it to put it just honestly lost its mind. And it, it's right. not even a, you don't even have to be on board for kind of the more the more theatrical aspects of MAGA. You just have to understand it's going to be better for the American worker, better for the American people. Absolutely. You know, our president, he has a gift. When I met him in the summer of 16, I recognized right away he just had a gift of problem solution. But there's one more. There's a God given gift. He knows what it's going to manifest to. That's huge. And he makes decisions. I want everyone out there to know. I, you know, I, I went all in as a businessman or whatever. I risked everything going all in. But I knew it was the right thing because I'll tell you what, he makes decisions based on helping the kids no other agenda other than to help our great country and help each and every one of us have joyful lives he you know that's he's making decisions based on that instead of what i've noticed now is i've gotten to be very you know meeting all these people from both sides of the of the democrats and republicans they there's decisions that are made by lifetime politicians or terrible governors like my governor of minnesota they make them for political reasons or for their own personal agenda it's either or and that's horrible. That's why we've been, and when we say drain the swamp, that's what he's been doing on both sides. And, you know, it, did, it didn't take him, it only took him a few short years to turn the Republican Party into the common sense party. I think we still have one named Romney that's still kind of a nut job that's a rhino. But, but other than that, um, 
you know, you're taking this. We need someone for con- to continue on after after he wins this election and in the future. That Democrat, the Democrat Party, you guys aren't voting for that. Where that ship sailed, you're voting for a Trojan horse that would be the most crazy radical leadership. I we see it in my home state of Minnesota how terrible it is when you make decisions for political reasons. Mike Lindell, inventor and CEO of My Pillow. You guys know we have My Pillow as a partner here on the show, and we're very grateful and thankful for that. Uh, Mike, my friend, I, I hope from your lips to God's ears on this election, we'll have you back to talk about how it went as soon as we know. Oh, we're going to know. We're all going to win. Right now, everybody, if you're a business owner, whoever you are out there, give your employees off tomorrow so they can go vote. Get your friends, family to get out and vote if they need a ride. Get them to the polls. Everybody, we got to win this. There is no tomorrow. This is for the, the greatest revival in history, and this is the most important election of our lifetime. Mike Lindell, everybody. Mike, thanks so much. Thanks for having me on, Buck. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. What's my biggest fear about a Biden win? Now, there are a lot of them. And I know, friends, I've already told you I think Trump's going to win and everything else. But but it's worth understanding what we face if, God forbid, turns out that my little spidey sense on this one, my intuition, my buck radar, whatever you want to call it, turned out to be wrong. What are we facing with a Biden win? And the single biggest problem that I think we'll have. Now, we also got to know, do they have the Senate or not? I'm going to assume for our purposes now that they don't have the Senate. Because if they win the presidency and they win a majority in the Senate, um, then I'm really worried. Right? Then we got a whole other conversation to have about what goes on in this country. But even if we maintain Senate control, you've got to look at um, what's going to happen here with just Biden as president and COVID. They really like this power that they have and that this this narrative that Democrats are the ones who take science seriously and they fight the virus and it's the evil Republicans, Trump supporters that are the reason the virus still spreads is is something that the, the left, the socialist Democrats are, are really invested in now. They're super comfortable with this. They love it. They love it. And and the mask wearing as evidence of I mean, mask wearing as as pro-science virtue signaling has become such a norm. Now, when I say mask wearing as virtue signaling, sure, there are times when if you want to wear a mask, you're indoors, you're around people, maybe it has some effect or whatever. I, I get that. Mandates, though, mandates are the problem because mandates imply state authority to do something and state ability to punish you for not doing it. And to wear a piece of to be forced to wear this stifling piece of fabric over your mouth and nose all the time on the government say so is a massive intrusion. It is. It is. People can pretend like it's nothing. It's not nothing. It's an enormous intrusion onto your rights. And it's also now the government taking a role in public health that has no end in sight. If the government can do this for covid, think about what else the government can mandate you do based on health concerns. And you would think, well, Buck, a rational, the reasonable man standard would stop that from happening. And I'm here to tell you the reasonable man standard does not apply 
to Democrats. Simply does not apply. They don't care. They will abuse. Uh, they will abuse their power. They will abuse that authority. And this is where Joe Biden comes in and tells us all that what is he going to do on day one? Play 15. We're going to act to get COVID under control on day one of my presidency. I'll put in action a plan I've been taking about talking about for months already laid out a national mandate, mask wearing, social distancing, testing, tracing, all things as President Obama just said, that should have and could have been put in place months and months ago. A national mask mandate. That's going to save us. That's what they tell us. It's all you have to do. Put a national mask mandate in place and everything else will be just fine. No need to be concerned. No need to think or worry about anything else. The national mask mandate will get it done. Oh, test and trace. Does anyone take that seriously? Does anyone really believe that we can trace cases of COVID? We absolutely can't. But there seems to be this, uh, this notion out there that if we just keep talking about it, that Joe's got a plan. This is a fairy tale proposal, friends. This is a fix that's never going to come to fruition. This is not going to happen. We're going to continue to have some COVID cases in this country. Tragically, people will continue to die until we get to herd immunity, which a vaccine will be hopefully a considerable part of. That's it. Everything else is just noise. There's no there's no controlling the virus for forever. This is not going to happen. Right. We're, there's, we're not going to be able to do that as a society. It wouldn't work no matter how much they mandate it. It's not going to change. But I'm really worried that what we face is the Democrats trying to make this vision a reality of the total control that they would need. Here is Pete Buttigieg, who's now a surrogate for the Biden campaign. He was formerly a contender against Biden. You remember him, mayor of South Bend, Indiana, wanted to be president. And here he is when asked about whether a nationwide lockdown. Now, let's understand, mask mandate is by order of the federal government, you must wear a mask. I want to know outside because that's anti-science. But my guess is yes. Got to wear a mask all the time. And if it's wear a mask, unless you can social distance, then it's not a mandate at all. It's a suggestion. So if they're really going to mandate it, it would have to be you can't you can't go anywhere without a mask. Got to have a mask on at all times. Federal law says or federal executive order. But a lockdown is, is even more severe, as you know, lockdown is you must stay in your home for a prescribed period of time. That's uh, some real tyrannical stuff. That's crazy. Right. This is not like a one day thing because there's a tornado and there's a state of emergency. This is, you know, as long as we say so, you must stay in your home unless you're getting food. Italy did this. Oh, that's right. Italy has a huge amount of covid cases right now. Wait, you mean that they didn't stamp out the virus? This was never about stamping out the virus when we started. But it morphed into that because the logic of this was people get scared and scared and scared. And the government won't admit that it cannot protect them lockdowns do not work mask mandates do not work that's not the same thing as saying a mask will never help you at all from aerosolized virus or or any kind of disease it's not the same thing but a mask mandate as a policy does not does not work the way that they have told us that it works right it's if you had a law that said you must eat healthy 
that's a law that will just be abused and is dumb and will not work because people are going to do what they're going to do. It's a big, it's an important difference. The left doesn't really understand this or they don't care to understand it. It's tough to know which one it is. Uh, but here's Pete Buttigieg on the possibility right away. Remember, the Biden team wants to do this right away in January of a nationwide lockdown. Play nine. If Joe Biden wins, should another lockdown be on the table? Well, hopefully it doesn't come to that because we will see swift action coordinating with and supporting public health authorities telling us what we can do as citizens without requiring any kind of mandates. But everything has to be on the table in order to keep Americans safe. Look, we should never have got to this point. It should never have been allowed to get this bad. Uh, But what we know is that uh, even something as simple and inexpensive as wearing a mask, if everybody does, it dramatically changes what's possible. I would also note that, you know, lockdown or no. I've been talking to a lot of small business owners, especially here in the Midwest, who are saying, look, even when they're able to open, customers aren't going to come unless they know they're safe. This is one of many reasons why the first rule of uh, virus economics is to beat the virus or else uh, you won't have an economy. They they keep creating these false choices. We're not going to lock down, but we're going to keep everybody safe from the virus. That's not possible. So they're living in a fantasy here. They've created this completely false narrative of they're going to do things so differently than Trump and everything. The economy is going to be better. The lockdown's not going to or, you know, there is going to be a lockdown, but it won't be that bad. Whatever. It's all crap. Lies, friends. This is all nonsense. But this is the worst thing that I think will happen to us if Biden wins. We'll have to deal with their covid insanity for the next year, at least. Thanks for listening to the Bus Sex and Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple podcast, the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. Don't tell anybody, but let me wait till a little bit after the election. Break. I don't know if you can make it out from the crowd there at one of the rallies. But Trump, uh, Trump supporters were yelling fire Fauci. And he says uh, he's going to win. Now, he may have been just been being playful, funny Trump there, but I don't know. I hope he fires Fauci. I think Fauci's a, a disaster, a nightmare. This guy's the worst. Just makes all he does is show up and say, you know, it's going to be bad. And then it might get a little worse and then it could be worse because it's going to be really bad. And, you know, you really got a mask and you got to just, you know, not really live your life at all, you know, because the infection's not going to stop unless you wear a mask and you got to wear a mask. I mean, this is all this guy does. No, no great ideas. Not some brilliant scientist who's helping develop the cure or something. No, he just walks around saying, you know, yeah, you know, wear a mask. And when am I going to do another cover shoot for Vanity Fair? That's all he really seems to care about. The brand of Fauci. This guy has not been good, not been helpful. Has not come up with any solutions, any programs, anything at all that has really made this markedly better. He's just a, a bureaucrat, a glorified bureaucrat in a lab coat telling America to constantly be terrified of this. Now we have... Uh, at least some hope that he will no longer be in charge if Trump wins. If Trump loses, you're going to be living in, in the, the tyranny of Fauci for the next 12 to 18 months. Even when we think the virus has receded, there will be people who say it could come back. Oh, no. Even with a 50 or 60 percent effective vaccine. Oh, that's not 100 percent. 
wear a mask, wear a mask, they will say. The Fouch is going to tell you to wear a mask. Oh, God, I really, really hope that it doesn't come to this, but I, I think it's going to. Um, and I, I just hope that we don't have to deal with this because it's going to be a long, cold, crappy winter if, in fact, the Fauci model is what we adopt. Um, instead of just understanding the virus is going to do what the virus does. Oh, speaking of people we shouldn't listen to, some of the celebrities out there that speak out about politics, I'm kind of glad that they do. I, I, find it, I find it amusing. So in a sense, I'm, I'm thankful that what we have at some level, that what we have here is um, stupid celebrities who are all Democrats who come out and they're just make, making their self-aggrandizing videos telling people who they should vote for, you know, the, the Alyssa Milano effect. Let's hear from the dumbest, least informed, most, uh, most self-involved and selfish people in society who are incredibly lucky to have the positions they do, mostly because they have a good-looking face. That's most, most celebrities, most actors uh, that have been really successful, it's because of their face. I mean, actually, their physical form. They're, they won the genetics lottery and now we're all supposed to listen to their thoughts on political philosophy. I, I choose not to. Uh, I think that that's pretty ridiculous. These are among the least connected to society and least well-informed people who have this kind of platform you could ever find. Right? There are dumber people than famous actors, but very few really, really dumb people have the kind of sway in public discussion that famous actors have. And uh, the same thing is true for actors slash musicians or musicians slash uh, slash actors. This was Lady Gaga, uh, Stephanie Germanata, who, fun fact, uh, went to the sister high school of my high school, was in my old my little brother's year and went to prom uh, either my little brother's year or the year above him went to prom at my high school. So, you know, what can I say? We're, uh, we got some some notables that were coming through the doors at Regis High School in New York. But her politics are what you would expect for somebody who's you know, probably worth $100 million or more and get to dance around and have everyone adore them. Doesn't really understand what it means to just be a normal person going through life right now. Doesn't really have that, that connection. And here she is trying to, I mean, you have to see the visual to really make full sense of it, but here she is trying to sort of tell everybody you know, hey, I'm just like you, drinking a beer, hanging out. People say this is her redneck impersonation. You can hear some of it in the audio. Play it. Hey, this is Lady Gaga. I'm voting for America, which means I'm voting for Joe Biden. And if you live in Minnesota, Pennsylvania, Georgia, Michigan, Florida, or Arizona, I encourage you to vote. And if you have a friend that lives there, tell them to vote. I'm gonna be in one of these states tomorrow. Guess which one I'll be in? Hint, I used to live there. Now, you kinda can hear at the end, she, she drinks and crunches up a beer can, and she's like, miss, yeah, I'm just like a, like a Midwestern American person who is a you know super famous pop star with a bajillion dollars and armies of fans that adore her. 
But I'm just like I'm just like you, American person, driving your pickup truck and drinking your beer with your baseball hat on. I mean, she's you got to see the ad. It's so it's like she thinks she's trying to fit in with an alien species known as normal Americans. That's, that's really what you get. That's the, the sense you get from this. Uh, that's pretty funny. Oh, gosh. I'm just going to say it. Really, really overrated. Really overrated. Has has a couple of catchy, catchy pop tunes that I think really no one's going to remember in 10 years. And yeah, she's a talented musician, but I always feel like when people say that, I want to remind them they're talented musicians all over the place who never get famous, never get big. So, you know, I, I would like it if, if the approach of people that are so successful in society was the even greater humility and sense of service to others that would come from knowing how lucky they are, how, how fortunate they are, and that they should just be thanking the society and, and the country around them that allowed them to achieve these extreme levels of, of wealth. And uh, that, that's what I think should happen with celebrities. But the opposite actually happens. Like I said, the, uh, the Alyssa Milano effect. You get sanctimonious imbeciles, you know, real airheads, who think that people that are just trying to get a better leadership class of America in place finally that is honorable and smart and knows what they're doing, that they're bad people because you don't believe in climate change or whatever, some other nonsense. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Team Buck, it's time for Roll Call. All right, Roll Call. And remember to go to BuckSexton.com. That's BuckSexton.com. We got stories up there. I'll be posting an editorial on the election. It's going to be good stuff. Good things. You're going to love that site. Right, Producer Mark? Doesn't it look so nice? Oh, it looks lovely. Yeah. We did a whole redo of the site. It's new and improved. Big fans of it now. Go check it out. BuckSaxon.com. And uh, if you want to send us more on a roll call, TeamBuck at iHeartMedia.com or Facebook.com slash BuckSexton. Also, Instagram messages. Send us a DM. And let's get to it. Pete writes up uh, here. Hey, Buck. I've been listening to you calling for resistance to the mask mandates, and I wholeheartedly agree. Early this summer, I took off my mask in the gym. There were eight other people in the whole place, and they were all slowly dropping their masks. An employee confronted me and told me to put my mask on or leave. I told him that I would not do that. I would do neither. When he asked why I wouldn't put the mask on, I responded nonviolent protest. He became clearly agitated when I asserted my rights and said he would call the police. I told him they would have to bring extra handcuffs to arrest the eight other people who weren't wearing their masks either. I worked out without my mask and the police never came. My greatest concern is not protesting the current mandate is enables tyrannical governors like Polis to think that if we fell in line this time, we'll fall in line next time too. Our compliance only emboldens these tyrants. So my question is, how are we going to resist? I have my ideas, but I want to hear what you think. Uh, yeah, Pete, I'm, I align with you on a lot of this stuff. And I think that uh, look, I, I do feel badly for people in positions where they're employees of an establishment where they're supposed to enforce this and they don't want to. But remember, Democrats fight very hard about limiting covid liability for people. So you may have covid liability if you if somebody claims they got infected in your place and you don't 
enforce the mask mandate, right? So this is this is why mandates are a different thing from whether or not you want to mask. If you want to mask up, go for it. And if and if a private establishment says that you should have to mask up, okay, fine, that's their choice. But you know, if one bar says mask up and the other bar says, you know what, this is kind of dumb, just don't come in here if you're sick. Uh, people should be able to make the choice between the two. But right now, there's no choice. Because either the state health authorities or if Biden wins, it'll be the federal authorities. And, and even still, because of the laws that exist, uh, the uh, statutes around liability mean that you don't have a choice. You don't have a choice as to whether you could just operate your establishment without a mask mandate, which remember, it's not the same thing. Not having a mask mandate doesn't mean no one's going to come into your place wearing a mask. I remember on the New York City subway, you know, for, for the last 10 years, you would see people sometimes wearing masks on the subway. They usually were from East Asia or, you know, were Asian American, but that was a common cultural thing for a while. You see it, you see it in Asia. It's very common in China and Japan. They'll wear masks during flu season. So I would see it here in New York City. And there's no problem. No one's ever like, oh my gosh, this person's wearing a mask during flu season. What are they doing? Not a big deal. But what we have is the other thing. What we have is a, is a system now where morons who live in my building in New York will see me walk alone out of my building without a mask on, and I'm standing outside, and they'll come up to me to say, why'd you walk through the lobby without a mask on? And I'll say, I mean, I'm outside, man. There's no one even in there. Like what? And it was, I was in there for five seconds. You want me to put a mask on for five seconds? And these are people, remind you, you got to remind yourself, they're going to restaurants and other places without masks at all indoors for hours at a time. But they're worried about the five seconds that I'm not complying walking through the lobby of the building that I live in, right? I mean, this... This is the stupid world that we're living in right now. This is the stupid. You know, Michigan now is requiring people to give their name and phone number if they go to a bar, which I'm sure some of the names that are in usage are uh, very creative and not able to be said on a nationally syndicated radio program. But that's the society we're heading for now. Yeah, because the, go- the state government in Michigan is really going to follow up effectively with everyone who goes to a bar, and they're going to track down all these cases of COVID. This is just dumb. Folks, this is just panic stuff. No one really thinks this makes, this makes it better. No one really believes that this solves the problems, but they won't accept that they can't solve the problems, so they make us do this stupid nonsense. James writes, Buck, the real Dracula episode of Shields High was all I hoped it would be, and then some... Retelling the story of Vlad Dracula in its historical context was incredibly informative, uh, informative and entertaining. And if a heavy metal band hasn't already named itself Lord Impaler, they're missing out on a golden opportunity. Shields high and all the best to you and producer Mark. Thank you so much, James. Yeah, I, I, I'm really proud of this Dracula Shields High podcast. Uh, you can check it out if you haven't already. It's timeless, folks. So it's not like you missed it from the news cycle or something. It's just me telling you the story of the real Dracula and doing it in a way where I really covered everything this time. I'd done it in the past on radio shows where I would talk about it for maybe 15 minutes or something, but I hadn't really done this full on, you know, soup to nuts, top to bottom life of uh, Vlad Tsepesh, Vlad the Third, Vlad the Impaler. Um, that, that was what I wanted to Dracula, obviously, that's what I wanted to do. So, yeah. His dad's name is Dracul, by the way, which I feel like is even scarier sounding, right? I know we think of Dracula, it's so scary, but Dracul. Well, that sounds pretty scary. It means dragon. You get, see, you know all this if you listen to the Shields High episode, so yet another reason why you should check it out, man. Come join the revolution. Hey, Buck, Shields High. I don't know if many people have noticed this. This is from John. 
But the left plays this number game where 97% of the protesting is or was peaceful and don't worry. While COVID-19 has an overall 96% survival rate, but wear a mask, panic, and shut everything down. I see it. I hope you, I hope and I think your listeners see it too. The idiocy and stupidity of how the numbers only count for one side and how the left can use those numbers to justify their actions no matter what. Uh, by the way, John, I think the survival rate for COVID is actually much higher than that. I think it's more like 99%, but uh, which I know 96% is high, but 99% is really high. Or you got to think you're going to extrapolate this out over hundreds of thousands of cases. So, yeah, I know they play numbers games. The answer to what percentage of your of your political protests in America today should involve burning down police stations, violence, or the answer is zero. That's the it should be zero percent. Shouldn't be five percent, ten percent, zero percent. Paul writes, hey, Buck and Mark, I have a question. Most of the leftist ideas about making it easier to vote are obviously designed to help them cheat. But I can't see how either party would benefit from making Election Day a national holiday. And I, uh, I can't see how either party would benefit. Oh, anyway, it actually seems like a pretty reasonable idea to me. Is there a hidden catch that I'm missing? Keep my shield high and occupied California stand. Hey, Paul, man, keep your shield high. And uh, yeah, look, I, I think that I think a national holiday for Election Day makes sense. I, I don't see a problem with that. I, I, I don't know why we can't do it. What what's the issue now? Remember, there's still be a lot of people that have to work. So I think that people say, look, you should be able to find time to go do this. The, the polls are open till eight or nine or something. You know, you go when you got to go. But I don't know. I, I think I think a holiday would be a good idea. I, I don't see the problem with it. Someone can explain me what the problem is. I do see the problem with daylight savings time. What is producer Mark? Where are you on this nonsense? This time we gained an hour. So I liked it when we lose an hour. I dislike it. Fair, but what if we if we had to go with zero or what we do right now? What would you do? I don't see a reason for the time change. No, seems so dumb. Seems so dumb. I gotta I gotta use like I'm a little MacGyver. I gotta redo the time on my on my microwave, and otherwise I'm in a panic all the time. I think I'm even more late than I usually am for our show. Right? I'm like, oh my gosh, what? I gotta do all this, and I got do do do. Keep pressing little buttons and figure. It'll make it easy. It'll make it easy. Yeah, I still have to do my stove. I think my wife took care of the microwave. Exactly. Yeah. The stove clock, the bane of my existence. So that's what I see there. Um, so uh, let's see here. Next up we have Manda who writes, Buck, what is your Spotify name? I can't find your Beast Mode playlist. Um I thought my Spotify name was, was, oh, it might be James Buckman Sexton, which is my full name. So, yeah, it might be under James Buckman Sexton. Just uh, give out your social security number now. Yeah, that's a fair, well, I, I feel like people know my, I think that's on Wikipedia. Yeah, I know, I'm just messing oh, okay. with you. All right, all right, I get very sensitive about that. All right, all right, all right. Um, but yeah, no, I think it's James Buckman Sexton, and uh, yeah, that's probably why. So I'll, I'll, maybe, you know what, I'll, I'll share it. I'll share it on my Instagram. So there you go. I'll share my Beast Mode playlist on Instagram. You can tell me what you guys think of it. Uh, thank you, Manda. That's the show for today, everybody. Tomorrow, Election Day. Go vote, please. Go vote. Until then, Shields High.